Please turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Ruth. We'll be looking uh, at the last uh, portion of this uh, book together this morning, uh, beginning at verse uh, 13, uh, down through verse uh, 22, as this uh, short story comes to a a conclusion, a climax here at the end uh, of the book. Last time uh, we left uh, Boaz uh, in this chapter announcing that he uh, would redeem, that he would be the redeemer. And uh, so we pick up the story uh, in verse 13 after the crowd has, uh, and all the peoples have asked a a blessing uh, upon both Boaz uh, and upon Ruth. And so this is the word of the Lord, beginning at Ruth 4, uh, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you that, as we just sang, your word is eternal in the heavens. It will be here long after we are gone. It was here long before we ever came. And so we thank you that that word that is eternal in the heavens comes to us today. And we pray, dear God, that by your Holy Spirit, that word uh, would be uh, put within good soil. We thank you that your Holy Spirit indeed works in our heart, that we might be open to the word, and that that word might find a place within us even today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And they lived happily ever after. Happily ever after is a a typical ending, of course, to a fairy tale uh, or a children's story. Uh, or a uh, romantic novel, not that I know about such things, um, but it's usually described to, uh, usually used to describe wedded bliss. The first time the term happily ever after was used in relation to marriage is in Giovanni Boccaccio's The Decameron, written in the 14th century. Decameron means 10 days, and this was a book that had a huge collection of many stories that are told by a group of folks during 10 days of plague. And in one of those stories, a man named Paganino marries a widow and wrote Boccaccio, as they were very well acquainted, so they lived very lovingly 
and happily ever after. However, uh, that's not actually how the uh, phrase was originally used. Originally, uh, the phrase uh, ever after was an expression of heaven. When people were described as happy ever after, what was meant was that they were happy in the ever after. Happily ever after meant eternal happiness in heaven. A truly happy ending means not simply a happy ending on earth in marriage, for example, but a truly happy ending means eternal happiness with the Lord. Happily ever after. Well, uh, certainly this is a happily ever after story. Uh, A son is given. So Boaz, we're told, verse 13, took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. In the scripture, marriage is a, a covenant relationship patterned after the relationship of Christ and his church. We find that, of course, in the, in the New Testament. In marriage, there is love between husband and wife, and Boaz and Ruth certainly have that. There is a public uh, covenant making as vows are, are made, and last time we saw Boaz making that public declaration. And there is, of course, biblically, there is a sexual union The one flesh union the Bible talks about, which symbolizes uh, that two have become one flesh. And uh, Boaz and Ruth are now uh, one flesh. And of course, the context for this uh, sexual union, the Bible says, is the permanent and committed love between one man and one woman in marriage. Now, notice the language of Scripture, Boaz and Ruth become husband and wife. They're intimate with one another, the Bible says, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The Lord gave her conception. This is only the second time in Ruth where we see the Lord actually actively highlighted as the the main actor. Now, of course, he's been there all along, and hopefully you have seen that along the way, coordinating all the details along the way. Uh, But back in chapter 1, verse 6, was when we heard of the Lord being the main actor. When the Bible says, then she arose, that is Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The Lord visits the people, gives them food. Here at the end of the book, the Lord gives conception. Now, this is not a small matter. Um, yes, uh, you know, farmers plant crops, they dig up the soil, seeds go in, fields receive rain and sun. Uh, But the Bible wants us to know as believers that all this is from the Lord. That's the Lord who visited his people and the Lord gave food Um, from the Lord. Yes, you work, you get a paycheck, you go to Stater Brothers or Albertsons or Sprouts or whatever it is, you uh, load up your cart, you pay the cashier, you go home. Uh, But the Bible wants you to know uh, that this is of the Lord. We're still called to pray the Lord's Prayer, of course, which says, give us this day our daily bread. And so it is, so it is at the end of the book with life in the womb. The Lord gave conception. We can plan and hope, and often today we can defer and seek to avoid, but the Lord 
gives life. The Lord gives conception. As Job reminds us, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Remember, God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Notice he didn't say, uh, when you were in the womb, I knew you. God said to Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you. In Israel, if you knocked down a pregnant woman and the baby died, the penalty was death because it was life for life. And that baby within the womb was exactly that, life, life for life. When does life begin? The Lord gave her conception. Psalm 139 tells us God is shaping and molding our life within the womb as he was doing here. Abortion, of course, is an attack on God's handiwork. If God says, I'm at work within the womb, and uh, someone else comes into that womb, what is that? Well, that is an, uh, an attack on the work of God. Like any sin, there is forgiveness. But let us remember the Lord gave her conception. And the Lord gives a son. Uh, there's no ultrasounds, of course, in these days for Boaz and Ruth, so perhaps Ruth's friends were telling her, uh, you know, during this pregnancy, oh, you seem to be carrying in the front. I think it's a girl. Or uh, you're carrying up high. I think it's a, I think it's a boy. But no, uh, uh, no ultrasounds there. They didn't paint the baby room until after delivery day. But it's a boy. It's a happy ending uh, for Ruth and Boaz. There's also here a, uh, a redeemer for Naomi. Notice verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He, that's this baby, shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. A redeemer has been born. So this is not simply a son for Boaz, a child for Ruth, but the local women's society gathers around and says to Naomi, uh, blessed be the Lord. Why? The Lord has not forgotten you, Naomi. That's their message to her. Listen, you need to bless the Lord because the Lord has not forgotten you. Now, this is, of course, this is a, uh, a love story about Boaz and Ruth, but it's also a story about a redeemer for Naomi, a kinsman redeemer, a goel in Hebrew, a near relative who would be a comfort to Naomi in her old age, who would restore life to her. The Lord does not forget, these women say, the Lord does not forget his people. He does not forget the widow. Now, there were times, of course, when Naomi thought he had. Right? Remember how this story began. It was a sad story. This is how Ruth begins. It's a sad uh, story. A woman and her husband move to a foreign land looking for a better life with their two sons. And her husband dies. And her sons marry. And she's encouraged. But then her two sons die. And uh, she didn't see any hope for her daughters-in-law. Uh, in Bethlehem, in chapter 1, she told them, go back. Go back to Moab. There's no hope for you in Bethlehem, 
Don't come with me. But here the women call Naomi to bless the Lord. She's not been left without a redeemer. The Lord has not forgotten you. You know, there may be, there may be times in our life when we will feel exactly like Naomi has felt at different times throughout this story. Hopeless, uh, maybe bitter, remember? Don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, call me bitter. And so there was, there was these times in her life where she thought the Lord had uh, forgotten her. But these women come around and say, listen, bless the Lord because the Lord does not forget you. He does not forget his people. Notice how the women describe the effect of the Redeemer who's been born in Naomi's life. This Redeemer, this child, is called, uh, will, be, will be a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. It's like this Redeemer, they're saying to Naomi, it's like this Redeemer will bring life to what was dead. And he will nourish you. He will, he will comfort you throughout your life, through your old age. There's a redeemer for Naomi. You're blessed, Naomi, your loving, precious daughter-in-law who committed herself to you and to God, who sought refuge under the wings of the Almighty, has given birth to your redeemer. Now, Naomi, we know, had experienced bitter providences, right? So much so, remember, that she said, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. But here's the thing, all along, all along, God has been showing her his goodness. And his timing has been perfect. And we saw back in chapter 2, there was a kind of a flash of it in her life. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he, that's Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. And so she, there was a glimpse of that, that the Lord had not forgotten her. He had been actually with her the whole time. Remember, they returned to Bethlehem. It's barley harvest. Ruth goes to the field. It's Boaz's field. Uh, she meets Boaz. He sends her home with a, a bushel of, of grain. She's allowed to glean. She comes back. Ruth humbles herself, uh, pleads with him, falls at his feet. Uh, he welcomes her and, and, and sends her back with even, even more provision. And all along the way, uh, Naomi is given these little uh, encouragements and hopes. The Lord has not forgotten her. Now the wedding's taken place, a son's been born, and a grandson in her lap. She may have felt empty, but the Lord provides a redeemer, and she is empty no more. And the women pray, may this redeemer's name be renowned in Israel. Now, there is, of course, there's an emptiness of the stomach, right? When you are hungry and uh, haven't eaten for a long time, like sometimes I, I don't eat, for instance, on Lord's Day morning. So sometimes if you maybe listen really closely to the sermon, you might think, what was that? Because there might be a rumbling within. And, uh, you know, your stomach makes strange growling sounds when you're hungry and the people around you notice and they might offer you something to eat. There's also, of course, the Bible talks about an emptiness of the soul, an emptiness of the heart, an emptiness of the spirit that is not satisfied. We're hungry and we also make strange noises when we're spiritually hungry too. And, and others 
and others notice. And so many types of spiritual food are offered to us to fill the yawning hole of hunger and spiritual thirst. So we taste this and we drink a bit of that. But it's all like salt water to the soul. And we're always left hungrier and thirstier than before. And we are not restored to life and we are not nourished at all. Augustine said, as you know, our hearts, O Lord, are restless until we find our rest in thee. Now, the thing is, the Lord, of course, uses this imagery that has been used of Naomi, that she had, she had gone, gone away full, but now she returns empty. There's this uh, description in this story about how Naomi had this nagging sense of emptiness, but the Lord was with her all along, and now she has a grandson in her lap. She was empty, but now she finds fullness in the Redeemer. Do you remember how Isaiah speaks in Isaiah 55? This is how it goes. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. We don't have any money to give. Come, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, says the Lord, eat what is good, Delight yourselves in rich food, incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make you with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon that's the Bible's imagery, right? That, that we are hungry and thirsty, but we take our money and we spend it on all sorts of things. And we eat and we drink and all that kind of thing. But, but the Bible simply says to us that none of that will ever satisfy your soul. Jesus, when he uh, performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, you remember the crowd followed him and Jesus at one point turns to them and says you're following me not because you know I not because of who I am but just because I gave you bread but I am the bread of life I am the the one who 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 you need to eat in that sense to take in I will nourish you I will give you life he is the redeemer of course he is the ransom. Jesus is the goel, the near relative who's able and willing to save, save us from sin, give his life in our place on the cross, close us with his righteousness that we might find shelter under the wings of the Almighty and brought into the family of God. Right? He is restorer of life. He is the nourisher of life. Well, it's a happy ending. A son is born. There's a redeemer for... Naomi, and this passage tells us the king is coming. Verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed, which means servant. Hmm. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then the, the, this book ends, and you think, well, this is kind of a strange end to a love story. Um, 
you know, I get four verses of uh, uh, four verses of uh, ancestors and, and descendants, and uh, what's 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 this all about? They named him Obed, father to Jesse, who was father of of David, the king. Um, this is a story that begins. You remember, it began in the time of the judges, a miserable time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It ends by telling us that this story is just one part of the much greater story of the coming of the king, King David, you see. These are the generations of appears many times in the Bible, especially in the book of Genesis. History in the Bible is important because the covenant family of God spans the centuries, and it's to that family that Ruth was added, and it's to that family that we are invited, of course, to belong. But this story then has actually been about the, um, the coming of the servant and the coming of the king. I don't know if you remember when the, um, when the Lord of the Rings movie started coming out over 20 years ago now. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring in 2001. The movies, anyway. Books were written many years earlier. One year later, 2002, The Two Towers. And then finally, in 2003, uh, The Return of the King. And out of the, uh, out of the 17 Academy Awards that that series of films received, 11 Academy Awards were received uh, for The Return of the King. Uh, the great climax to Tolkien's three-book Work And throughout that story, if you've read The Lord of the Rings or seen those movies, you know that there is a sense uh, that all the little bits of the story in all the different scenes and all the different places, all the different characters are all part of one grand story. And they're all looking towards the return of the king. Now, on one level, the book of Ruth is about Naomi being filled that she was empty, but now she knows the Lord has not forgotten her. She's got a renewed hope, a new life. On another level, this is a story about the Lord sovereignly bringing together the union of Boaz and Ruth, two people, you remember, who shine as examples of what love to the Lord and love for each other really lo- looks like. Remember, said covenant faithfulness for each other. Yes, it's about, it's about that. And on another level, this is a story about uh, how will the name of Elimelech be kept alive in, in Israel? And how will his family be provided for? And it's about that too. But all these stories here at the end, we're told all these stories are, are part of the much bigger story of how, um, you know, how God will provide his people in the miserable days of the judges. How will he provide for them? Well, he will provide the king. David, who through uh, his life, though a great sinner, Uh, He repented of his sin, was used by God to unite and lead his people. But here's the thing. Of course, David himself would be but one more smaller story within the bigger story of the one who comes to reign as king forever and ever. Jesus We know Jesus' ancestors. You know that Matthew and Luke gives us a list of the ancestors of Jesus. But here's the wonder of the bigger story, that as you read the uh, account of Jesus' ancestors, as the gospel stories open, 
of Jesus, the spotless lamb, you realize quite quickly that Jesus, the spotless lamb, was descended from sinners and outsiders, writes Ian Duguid. Why does God do things this way? Why is he willing to be involved with such an array of dubious characters? You look at the, the ancestors of Jesus. Well, this is what Duguid says. Look at the women who appear in the genealogy of Jesus, as recorded by Matthew. Front and center, there's Tamar, the Canaanite mother of Perez and Zerah. Then there's Rahab, who didn't just dress up like a prostitute, like Tamar did. She really was one. She, too, found a place in the ancestry of our Lord as she was rescued out of Jericho and brought into the covenant community. And next there was Ruth, who, for all her worthiness, was still the Moabites, a despised foreigner. And finally, in the ancestry of Jesus, we find Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, the former wife of Uriah. That, says Dugit, is quite a collection of family portraits. And nor are the men in the family tree of Jesus any better. But why? Well, as Jesus himself put it, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came, the Bible tells us, to rescue sinners, people like his own ancestors, and people like us. Jesus was given the name Jesus because, the Bible says, he would save his people from their sins. He is the servant of the Lord. He was a friend of sinners. The Bible says, like us in every way except for sin. But he who had no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He came like Boaz, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came like Boaz, full of grace and truth, abounding in love and covenant faithfulness. And he takes us to be his own, sinners, outsiders, though we are, because in Christ the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, and we have all we need in him, trusting in him, submitting to him, falling at his feet as Ruth did, seeking refuge. We hear from him as Ruth heard from Boaz, I will redeem you. So this is a a happy ending for Boaz. He's married with a son, and his name will be blessed. It's a happy ending for Naomi. She has been filled again. She's uh, had her hope restored. She has a redeemer. It's a happy ending for, for Ruth. She's been taken into God's family. She's found a home and a faithful husband. This is a happy ending for the people. Uh, they have a, a wedding celebration. Uh, they know there's a restored household Uh, the gift of life, and they know the king is coming. It's a happy ending, and will be a happy ending for you if you see in this story the hand of a gracious, merciful, faithful, covenant God graciously providing for all his people a redeemer like Boaz, a king like David, and the one who would be born seed of the woman, son of Boaz, son of David, Jesus the Christ. Oh, we think about Boaz's love for Ruth the Moabite. It does not compare with the love of Jesus for sinners. 
Oh, I think about Boaz and his sacrifice for Ruth. Name, reputation. It does not compare with the sacrifice of Jesus who cried out on the cross for sinners like you and I. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Bearing the wrath of God in my place. Oh, how Boaz's name would be known. And blessed through the centuries as descendants would come from him. It does not compare to the descendants, spiritual descendants, without number among the families of the earth who bless the name of Jesus. And how David the king would reign over God's house in Israel. He'd be called a man after God's own heart. It does not compare with the reign of Jesus Christ over the nations in the kingdom that will never end. So yes, Boaz redeemed Ruth. His son would redeem Naomi. But it's only his greater son, the greater Boaz, uh, the greater David, who can redeem you and me. You see, your story is also a part of the bigger story of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. Have you found a home as an outsider, a sinner, a broken person like Ruth? Have you found a home among the family of God? Jesus came not for the worthy, for righteous, but for sinners like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and David and Paul and Peter and you and me. Because, friends, the God who called Ruth is the God who calls us in Christ, that we too would say, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So may we, at the end of this story, may we be found in worship and joy and thanksgiving at the feet of the Redeemer, Jesus, knowing he's our God. We're his people. He's the bridegroom. And the church is his bride. And we shall live happily ever after. Maybe so. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, small book in the Bible. And yet, Lord, though it's a small book, oh, what a story it tells. And what a part of the bigger story it tells. Not only were you providing for Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and the people there in Bethlehem, not only were you providing a, a husband and a home and a family, not only were you providing a son who would one day father another son, who would not one day father the coming king of Israel. But from Boaz, from David, would one day come uh, the king who would reign forever, the redeemer of sinners, who is Christ the Lord. And Lord, now we have come. You've given us birth to live and to hear the gospel story so that we too, like Ruth, might, might respond in, in faith, knowing that we too have a much greater Redeemer in the person of Jesus Christ. May we look to him and be found at his feet, even today. And we pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen.